there, Alaskans, wherever you are, welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right in a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to MustReadAlaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in snowy Alaska. Geez, I just flew back from Nashville last night, drove home in a blizzard, <laughs> went to bed at midnight, woke up in the morning, another blizzard happened. It just doesn't seem to, to let up, but I guess that's why they call it Alaska, the six months of winter. Um, we have a very special guest today, someone who's been on the show, I don't know, a handful of times, and I always appreciate him coming on. I think it's always good to chat with folks from all walks of the political spectrum. And uh, this is a guy who has figured out how to give a voice to the folks in the middle, which is a big chunk of um, people in Alaska. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Scott Kendall. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Well, I'm excited you're on. We were chatting earlier about the Seahawks hat. Uh, you are a big Seahawks fan, are you not? Yes, I was. I was raised in, the, you know, my some of my earliest memories are from the kingdom when I'm like four years old going to games. So absolutely. <laughs> I have I was there when they flattened the kingdom. My dad drove us down there. And oh, you know, cool. we were like far away, obviously, because we didn't want to get flattened ourselves. But me and my dad and a couple of my buddies who went, we snuck kind of in and around the kingdom and we all picked up little chunks of the kingdom after it got flattened. So Oh, very cool. I still have a little teeny chunk in my treasure box up in my uh, attic area. So yeah, I mean, they, they had to knock it down because it was already falling down, if you remember. <laughs> yeah. The pieces of the ceiling falling on the stands during Mariners games. It was a, kind of a pit. So one of the things I wanted to chat about is this, these middle vote folks. I think that, you know, in probably any any other the 40 or 50 states we go to, you got a two-party system, really. Maybe you have some 5% libertarian or 1.5% Green Party or something like that. But essentially, it's two-party system. We have a very unique uh, thing in Alaska, and there's going to be folks listening to the show that don't live in Alaska, um, where a big majority of our voters are not Democrats, they're not Republicans, they're nonpartisan or undeclared. Um, talk to talk to me a little bit about that. Kind of break that down. I, I see you as somebody who's kind of been king of the middle. So for folks that are listening to this and don't even know what, how do you even vote if you're not a Republican or Democrat? You know, fill people in on what does that mean to be in the middle? Right, right. I mean, Alaska is really unique, although it is a growing trend nationwide, as we know, which is here in Alaska, 63% of us don't affiliate with either major party. Um, we got like something like 24% Republicans, 13%-ish um, Democrats, and the rest are either, you know, an obscure small party or no party at all. And it's it's an interesting phenomenon because, you know, within that 63%, obviously there is immense diversity. People who are, you know, maybe so far right, they're right beyond the Republican Party or so far left, they're left beyond the Democratic Party. But I also think um, sort of an underrated factor here is the three-dimensionality of politics here in Alaska, which is, you know, we don't plot things just left to right. There are 
um, interest groups and, you know, people who have a certain charisma or connections because we're such a small state that it doesn't necessarily just plot that simply. I talked to a friend the other day. He lives in Wasilla. He is an incredibly conservative guy. Um, very, very conservative. Uh, great guy. He voted um, in the U.S. Senate race for the Democrat, Pat Chesbro first. She taught his kids in school. You know, it was that simple to have that personal connection. Yeah. And so there was a no brainer. And then he actually felt some angst over whether to rank um, either Senator Murkowski or or Kelly Chewbacca next. So those people exist. Um, and there's also just, you know, when you look at the success of someone like Mary Peltola, um, which sort of defies political gravity to outsiders. But, you know, she authentically talks about issues that I think Alaskans identify with. I have friends in the lower 48 and they're like, you got someone who's just talking about fish. Who on earth can run for office talking about fish all the time? <laughs> and you and I would be like, well, you're up from the Kenai Peninsula even more so. Like fish, like every Alaskan thinks they're a fisherman, every one of us. Um, so it's it's very different and in some ways unique to Alaska. But I do think nationwide, um, you know, I think when you look at the presidential race, if voters are faced with Trump or Biden, I think that there is a, probably a majority of voters in their heart of hearts who'd prefer an option other than those two. Um, but that is, you know, again, the two-party system at work. So do you think there's a uniqueness to Congresswoman Mary Potola because Sarah Palin was in the race? Or do you think there's a uniqueness because she's just a unique kind of special person? I think um, it's mostly the latter. Because I did look at um, under ranked choice voting, um, the system generates what's called a cast vote record. And you could actually kind of see what turns out to be sort of an elaborate graph of, you know, what did... Um, you know, who did Nick Begich voters rank next? Who did Sarah Palin voters rank next? And what you see is from those numbers that head to head, she would have beat Sarah Palin and head to head, she would have beat Nick Begich. That, you know, whatever it is she had, um, she has an appeal that goes kind of across the spectrum and not only, you know, obviously dominates with moderates, but I think actually carves into a lot of traditional Republican voters. There's a lot of them who see, her, they see her advocacy for the Willow Project on the slope. They see her advocacy on on fish, and they say that resonates with me. Yeah, and they, you know, I I voted for Nick Begich, and but but what I would say about Congresswoman Mary Patola is that she, almost everybody that I've met that knows her, says good things about her, and yeah, she, yeah, she's yeah. got that smile on her face, and. You know, it's, that went a long ways in a race that was a little, got a little crazy real fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think you saw genuine affection between she and Governor Palin. And when you saw that in a ranked choice environment, lo and behold, those were the top two finishers by a significant margin. And I think, you know, people are, despite what we see every day on TV and despite what we may think, I think people are looking for a little bit of civility and normalcy. Because we don't, you know, as much as you or I might disagree or me and someone else might disagree, like I've got a neighbor across the street, very different politics than me. We bump into each other at the mailboxes. We do not shout at each other. You know what? We like pet each other's dogs. We help each other change a spare tire. It's just not how we act. So do you, uh, what do you think the, what do you think has been missing for these, the two party system to not be able to effectively bring a voice to this very large middle group of voters who haven't maybe found a home on purpose? I mean, it really, 
you know, to some degree, I think it's systemic. When you have a closed primary system, um, whether you let nonpartisan voters in or not, you brand a system as this is the Republican primary, this is the Democratic primary, it's exclusionary. And so, you know, your decision group is, you know, you're trying to run a, say you're the Republican Party and you want to have the strongest Republican candidate in the general election. Well, only 10% of the voters, and they are the furthest to the right, are picking that person. Are they necessarily going to be the most viable in November? Probably not. Um, but then you see minority parties like the Democratic Party not wanting open primaries because they kind of want the Republicans to nominate someone so goofy that they can beat them. <laughs> I, you know, I call it kind of the Herschel Walker effect, right? Like, you know, the Republicans, they got Herschel Walker. And now he's talking about werewolves and vampires, and they should have won that seat, but they didn't because that was the candidate they had. Um, you know, under our system in Alaska, they likely would have had a backup candidate, right? They would have had another Republican in the race, and it could have turned out very, very differently. So the partisans in both parties sort of have this incentive. You know, on one end, they want control. You know, they want they want a candidate who's true to their values and the and the truer to their values, the better. And, and on the other hand, they may want the other party to nominate an extremist so they're easier to bump off. So it's these very bizarre competing interests, but they don't necessarily lead to the most effective leaders being elected. Do you feel like, you know, I'm sure that you've had a chance to chat with probably more so than most people, this middle group of folks. Do you do you feel like they are happier today than they were, let's say, two years ago um, when they didn't have a party that represented, you know, them necessarily? Yeah, I mean, I will say, I mean, granted, the people who will talk to me is a self-selecting group. So yeah, yeah. with that caveat, I will say people enjoyed, um, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, they enjoyed at the end, you know, at the end of the day, if someone wanted to vote for Mary Peltola in the primary and Lisa Murkowski or Kelly Chewbacca, they could because that ballot existed, a ballot that had a mix of candidates. And they liked the competition being pushed to November. You know, even in, you know, a couple of our House seats, of course, actually had four Republicans, you know, four Republicans running. But there was competition in November because those four Republicans were all vying for your vote. And even if you're a Democrat, you know, located in downtown Wasilla, your voice mattered. Because just like any other variety of people, Republicans can be very different than one another. So people really liked, I think, the feeling that those candidates were fighting for their vote to the very end, as opposed to, you know, typically in a, a partisan district, the Republican or the Democrat wins, and then they can go to sleep for the general election because it's a done deal. And, and I think people like people like free markets. They like competition. And that's what this does. What do you think this does for other races in the U.S.? I mean, obviously, there's, you know, other states are looking to see what Alaska is doing, if it's going to be repealed or not, if it's not, you know, if it's not going to be repealed or, you know, if ranked choice voting is here to stay. Do you think this is going to catch on in other states? I mean, it kind of has in some ways um, in other states already. Yeah, there, there are sort of growing movements in, I would call it, you know, eight to 10 states and, you know, at various levels of infancy. Nevada is very far along. They passed our system once. Under their constitution, they have to pass things twice. I don't get it. But they're they're running it again next year. Um, and then there's a number of states looking at it. But there's sort of this very, very broad agreement. A lot of people are intrigued by our system. 
But the broadest agreement I'm seeing is just like we got to do something about primary elections, that this is that there is something fundamentally wrong with a minority of voters choosing what the majority gets to pick from. So do you think that this is going to, let's say, you know, a candidate that usually would never have a chance in heck because they're maybe they're not even a libertarian or a green party, maybe they have no party. Do you think that that person at the end of the day has a better chance to get their voice heard through this new system ranked choice voting than they previously had? Because I think, you know, as I talk to people, you know, just that maybe are not in the political uh, umbrella like people like you and I know, I think that that's just a normal concern for folks that it's going to get rid of the folks who may have had a voice under a green party or a libertarian party that that now that's never going to be a possibility anymore can you elaborate on if it's gives them a bigger voice or a smaller voice in your opinion yeah i actually think the opposite is true um and and i actually designed the system with that in mind because under the old system you got a democrat versus a republican and the game was always, you know, the Republican would like to get a green candidate in to shave votes off the Democrat. The Democrat would like to get an Alaska Independence Party or Libertarian in to shave points off the Republican because those votes just go in the trash, right? If that person finishes third, what does it matter how many votes they got? Now, under this system, if that person's in the race, now you're courting those votes. The Libertarians got 6% of the vote. That may be the deciding margin. And so those other candidates really have to to grapple with their issues. So I actually think it's very generative of a debate around the issues for these small party candidates. And I actually think, you know, when there's an excellent candidate, I think we're going to see, you know, a couple of them break through and win. We do have more nonpartisans now in the legislature than we've ever had. Um, I think it's just sort of a matter of time before, you know, whether it's green libertarian. I mean, I think there's some, quite honestly, there's some people serving in the legislature now that I think probably are more of a green candidate or a libertarian, but the old two-party system forced them to pick a label that was viable. Um, I know a couple of my Republican friends, you know, particularly those who are very anti-regulation, but also um, true to their word, kind of want the government out of people's bedrooms and so forth, that leads them to kind of more moderate social policies. I think at heart, they're libertarians, right? But they they run as Republicans. So I do think this levels the playing field and candidate quality is going to be the defining factor. So what do you, what's your thoughts on the congressional race? We got Nancy, Lieutenant Governor Nancy Dolstrom in. We got um, Nick Begich, who previously ran, and, and we have obviously Congresswoman Mary Potola. I don't know if there's another Democrat or not that's threw their name in the hat yet, but there probably will be. I could see that happening. Yeah, yeah, it's it's possible all sorts of people get in, but there's there's three main candidates. I mean, I think, um, you know, Representative Peltola's uh, quality as a candidate, whether you voted for her or not, it's it's proven. You know, she won twice. She won by a substantial margin. I think people know that she is a strong candidate. That's clear. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, correctly questioned why would Nick Begich get in again? You know, you finish third, you finish third again. Why get in the race? Um, and I think, you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dahlstrom's entry into the race is, is clear that sort of the Republican establishment back in D.C. wanted a different candidate than Nick Begich, and they found it. Now, she's been elected statewide, you know, granted, you know, on a ticket with a very popular governor at the time, Governor Dunleavy, 
So a little bit untested. It, it will be interesting because um, I've only met Lieutenant Governor Dahlstrom once, but I will say universally, um, when I talk to Democrats, Republicans alike, people agree she's a lovely person. She's very personable. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think that's two very strong candidates. There's interesting dynamics, though. There is, um, of course, Peltola's got a rural coalition. She's gonna, and she's going to be a, Mary Peltola's going to be a fundraising machine. I mean, it's just right. going to be next level, like unlike anybody's ever seen before here in Alaska. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, she's got to feel the target on her back because she's one of five people serving in the House who won a district that Trump won. One of five Democrats, I should say. So I would think that there is a big target on her, notwithstanding Alaska's idiosyncrasies. There's, you know, sort of the age factor. Nancy Dahlstrom's a generation older than Mary Peltola, and we kind of like our people to get into office and stay there for decades, right? So there's going to be a lot of factors that I don't think people have thought about yet. But I will say this, um, everyone I've talked to um, has nothing but nice things to say about Nancy Dahlstrom interpersonally. But, you know, it, it's a big stage. It's a statewide election. I'm sure people are combing her record and we'll see what we see. Yeah. Well, I like uh, I'm a big fan of Nancy, the lieutenant governor. She, she's been on the show several times. She'll she'll probably come on here in the next couple of weeks. And Congresswoman Mary Patola, you're invited anytime you'd like. So if you're listening in, um, your uh, invitation always stands. You can come on whenever you want. So um 20 minutes has gone by in a flash, Scott. Any last minute thoughts here before we head out? Um, no, I, I, um, you know, I, I'm going to wish luck to our beloved Seahawks this weekend. Um, <laughs> but uh, look forward to getting together again. I think there's always something interesting to talk about. So love to come back soon. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Scott. For folks listening in and you want to help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska or you want to be a sponsor of the Must Read Alaska show, just email me at john at mustreadalaska.com or go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. Every $5, $10, $100 helps keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. And until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thanks, Scott.